Welcome to Satsang. Hello, Vishrant. Can you please speak about the question, why are humans great escape artists? Okay. So we're primarily programmed to avoid pain and to chase pleasure. This is just part of our programming for survival. And so when we talk about someone being an escape artist, they're usually trying to get away from something that's uncomfortable. Wounding possibly, inconvenience, something uncomfortable that they don't want to meet. And we have a myriad of ways of doing that. Uh, we look at the gross ways of alcoholism, drug taking, cigarette smoking, um, video games, pornography, workaholism, dualism, uh, gluttony. There's so many ways that we can remove ourselves from feeling unpleasant feelings and in so doing so uh, keep ourselves at the same state of consciousness. You see, most adult human beings, as a matter of fact, I think all adult human beings are wounded because of their childhood and what they've been through. And to actually feel wounding is painful, so people avoid it. So people don't really heal the wounds of their heart because they're too busy finding ways to not feel it. Yet, if we really want to heal ourselves, if we really want to heal the wounds of our heart and not be controlled by our fear of feeling them, we need to actually be okay with feeling them. And that, that takes a fair bit because we're going against a, a primal imperative to escape, to get away from, to find something more comfortable. And so on a very, very natural level, human beings are programmed to avoid pain, avoid discomfort. Hence the numerous escape methodologies that we, we muster up to avoid. Unfortunately, if you're interested in higher consciousness, you can't keep doing that. You've got to actually face the music. You have to create a mind that is not trying to run away constantly because that keeps the mind in lower consciousness. You have to be brave enough to be okay with what is rather than finding some way to avoid what is. And that's going to be up to you because nobody can do this for you. Only you can do this. And if you have a look around and you have a look at yourself, and you get honest with yourself, you'll have a look at how you're doing it, how you're escaping. What ways are you using to avoid being uncomfortable? What ways do you use to change your consciousness so you don't feel something? And then you'll see the obstacles that are in a way of higher consciousness for you. Any questions? Any statements? Any challenges to this teaching today?
The first question is as follows. Are we simply programmed from childhood to escape our stuff and use coping mechanisms? Yeah, I just explained that. <laughs> it's not even uh, it's not even external programming. It's internal programming. It's uh, comes genetically that one. The human escape systems. And some of the escape systems look really good, you know, like um, doaholics, people who just constantly do things. That looks like a pretty good one because you get things done, you, you manufacture things, you seem productive. But are you using it to avoid something inside of yourself? You'll have to have a look. Um, some of the other ones don't look so good, like alcoholism and drug taking and cigarette smoking, but they're also just avoidance systems. People are medicating themselves because they don't want to feel something. Can there be any value in not feeling your emotions, such as calmness and clarity? Well, we all live in the marketplace. How are you going to not feel your emotions? How are you not going to get them triggered? We're dealing with other human beings. We're dealing with letdowns. We're dealing with failures. We're, we're dealing with trouble a lot of the time. How are you not going to get triggered? It's, you're going to get triggered. <laughs> if you're alive, you're going to get triggered. If you're in a relationship, you're going to get triggered. It's just how it is. And that triggering is going to show you where you're still caught, where you're still contracting to life, resisting life. It's going to show you where you haven't shown up yet uh, with consciousness and love. What actually makes someone willing to face their repressed emotions and wounding? I can only really talk about my own experience here. And it, I became aware that I was wounded when I was a teenager because I broke up. Well, I didn't break up. A girl broke up with me. And I felt this tremendous pain and black hole in my chest that I had never felt before. And I realized, ooh, there's something there. And it was uh, an abandonment wound, a, a betrayal and abandonment wound which had nothing to do with this girl. She was just doing what she does, but it was my wounding. And so I spent uh, at least the next 10 years avoiding that <laughs> uh, because I didn't realize that we could heal it. I didn't realize that there was a way to actually uh, diminish it. And so I just avoided it by not putting myself in positions where I would be abandoned readily um, and not letting anyone know I had the abandonment wounding. I didn't want anyone to use it to manipulate and control me, which is what can be done if you're wounded. So I think I got about fixing things when I was a little bit older and I became willing to feel them because I was sick of being uh, in, in, in any way controlled by my wounding. And when we look at how we're controlled, we're controlled by the fear of feeling it. 
in some people, they use your wounding to manipulate you because they can. And I didn't want that to occur either. And so I, I had a good look at my wounding and I decided, no, this is going to, I'm going to do something about this. And I became willing to feel it. How to avoid getting lost in suffering? Well, you've got to have a look at what suffering is. Uh, every human being experiences pain, but pain is not suffering. Pain is pain. Suffering is when we resist pain or we resist uh, an uncomfortable position, discomfort. Suffering happens as a result of resistance. And so ultimately, um, we probably can't stop pain happening so readily, but we can definitely stop suffering because we don't have to resist life. We can accept life. We can accept pain as it is. We are responsible totally for our resistance. Without resistance, there is no suffering. There might be pain, but there's no suffering. And so when I see people suffering, uh, you know, putting a lot of resistance into life, I know that they're creating that for themselves, including, and that's how I saw myself. If I was resisting life, I saw that I was creating suffering and there's no need for it. As you become more conscious, you get to see clearly that we are responsible for our resistance, for our contracting, and that we can actually stop it. And so it's up to you. What are you going to do? Are you going to resist life? Are you going to continue to create suffering for yourself? Or are you going to take full responsibility for yourself that you make yourself feel and stop suffering, stop resisting, start accepting life as it is? This is the way. Next, Susha has a question. Hello, Susha. Hi, Vishrant. Vishrant, I'm doing good. Thank you. Mm. Vishrant, I learned to meditate very early in life, and I feel like I have used that to escape. I have also been a workaholic, but I have also used meditation or going to the space to escape. Can you talk a little more about that, please? Yeah, the only thing that I know that cannot be used by the mind as an escape methodology, including all spiritual techniques, is the practice of openness. The practice of openness is brilliant because it cannot be used as an escape methodology and what it facilitates is higher consciousness and it facilitates our being able to be able to perceive love and heart because we perceive love in openness and so openness is a wonderful thing to practice more than anything else how open can you be particularly when things aren't going your way how open can you be just this one practice 
which nobody needs to ever know you're practicing, will take you to higher consciousness. Because in practicing openness, you get to see all of the belief systems that create contraction in you when the expectation of them is not met. Then you have the opportunity to undo those belief systems so you no longer contract, no longer resist. Up to you. So the key is um, watch for the contraction. Yeah, well, that's and, it's an arrow pointing back to where you haven't shown up inside of yourself with consciousness. People who are take offense, people who contract constantly to the world are operating out of lower consciousness. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing that. As your consciousness levels rise, you don't get caught in uh, reacting in a resistant way because you're not into your own suffering. Yes. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thank you, Susha. Thank you. The next question has been written by Paul. Hi, Vishrant. What is the Holy Spirit? It feels to me that it is an energy that helps bridge illusion to truth and corrects errors. How do you view it? Yeah, unfortunately, when we start talking in terms of Holy Spirit or God or love, there's so many different layers of understanding on those words. And those words have been so polluted over thousands of years. It makes it difficult to get uh, anyone to have the same opinion about any of it. So... I don't like to talk in terms of the Holy Spirit, but I will talk in terms of awareness being aware of itself. And when awareness is aware of itself, that that's aware of the mind becomes aware of itself. There is a knowing of self as everything. There is a knowing of self in an omnificent way. And we talk about holy, well, in that, there is no separation. In that, there is just one. A oneness, a totality of oneness as self, but everything as self. And this is where people seem to miss the boat. They don't recognize that the I is imagined. You take away your imagination and the I doesn't exist. So if you take away the I, which is only an imagined thing, what's actually here? And if you take away the I and you become a nobody, a nothing, you discover yourself as everything. Now, we could call that holy if we wanted to, but I don't like that word much either because it's been too polluted over time. I prefer to use the word reality. We are reality. God is reality, everything. I, I don't know if that helps because I'm not sure of what you're asking there. Next, we have a question from Abayi. Hello, Abayi. 
high vision. Can we use catharsis also uh, to heal our wounds? Did you say, can we use catharsis? Yes. Okay. Well, it depends a great deal. I mean, having a good dance or having a, a jump in the ocean or doing anything physically can let energy off that's been trapped in the body. But when we start talking in terms of catharsis, there needs to be an understanding that if we want to rewound ourselves, all we've got to do is run victim-oriented stories and that will rewound us. So catharting and at the same time, running a story in the mind about how unjust things have been or how unfair things have been to us or whatever it is we're resisting can create more wounding. So there's a bit of a trap there that you need to be aware of. There's nothing wrong with letting everything out, but it's not such a good idea to top it up again by create, recreating the trauma or whatever it is that's created it in the first place in your mind and rerunning it because that's the way you top your wounding up. So be careful. Yes, that is very clear understanding about catharsis. It's not smashing things. Oh, <laughs> like you, know, usually you, just, you don't smash things? No. <laughs> That's what people mean when they say catharsis. Mm -hmm. Your explanation is very clear and makes more sense to me. Thank you. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, everybody. The next question is as follows. How do I let the whole world break my heart open rather than constantly being defensive? Yeah. If we open our eyes, we see the tragedy of the world we live in. We see the suffering that all human beings carry. And if we allow ourselves to be touched by this, it can break our hearts open. Most of the time, people defend themselves against this. They don't, they don't actually take it in. They, they look at it from a defended space. And so they might watch the news or read a newspaper or hear a story that is tragic. And they're defended against feeling it. They're really not going to allow it to touch them. In allowing the tragedies of the world to really touch us, we can open right up. And we can start to facilitate heart, facilitate the perception of heart. As long as we remain closed, we're not really facilitating love. Closure blocks us from experiencing it. It's always here, but our closures, our defendedness stop us from perceiving it. The world is the way the world is. There is a lot of suffering happening. And if we really allow it to touch us, it can open us right up. And this openness, in this openness, we can start to perceive the beauty of love. The following question has been written by Vinita. Hi, Vishrant. What does one need to do to undo abandonment wounding 
Is there anything other than facing it willingly and undoing beliefs? Okay. So abandonment wounding can start very, very young. Um, a baby might be taken away from its mother at birth and put into another room. That could create a, a form of abandonment wounding. Or we could get taken to kindergarten or put into a daycare when we're very little and feel like our mum's abandoning us, leaving us in a strange place with strange people. And so abandonment wounding can start at a very, very young age. And it feels really awful because abandonment wounding has the feeling of death in it. And it also touches us because it makes us feel that somehow we're not worthwhile. We're being thrown away. We're being rejected. And this creates low self-worth in us. And it is hard to heal. It's not just about feeling it, though. Feeling or allowing yourself to feel wounding heals it. But with this type of wounding, there needs to be an understanding in the mind of how it was produced and having a look for if there's anything inside ourselves regarding low self-worth that we're not accepting in ourselves. Are we in total acceptance of ourselves, or are we holding ourselves in contempt and creating more low self-worth? And so it comes down to having a look at the mind, witnessing the mind, and in a way, finding those things that we don't accept about ourselves and finding a warm okayness for them. And that takes a fair bit of doing. It's up to you. You're the only one that can heal low self-worth, abandonment wounding in you. It's up to you. But as long as you have low self-worth and you feel unworthy, there's a good chance you're going to be sabotaging yourself somewhere because you don't think you're worthy. And there's a good chance that you're being controlled by the fear of feeling that low self-worth. And so it's up to you. Self-acceptance, as far as I'm concerned, is the foundations of higher consciousness. And no matter how far ahead you get in consciousness, if you haven't done the foundations, you have to come back and do them. Acceptance of self as is, is a must. The next question has been written by Nick. I tend to escape through entertainment. Is it possible to still enjoy watching TV or comedy without using it as an escape? And if, if yes, how? Well, I have no problems with television or comedy. Um, I love comedy and I, I actually enjoy movies and series, documentaries. But there's a difference between enjoying them and using them as an escape methodology. A person can bury themselves in, uh, in entertainment and avoid everything. And in a lot of ways, play life be out of it. People do this with gaming. They get involved in gaming and they avoid everything. And they think they're living, but they're just living in a game. They're living in an imaginary game. 
And the same goes for watching movies. It can definitely be used as an escape, but it doesn't necessarily have to. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having entertainment. There's nothing wrong with comedy. For that matter, there's nothing wrong with games. But why do we use them? What are we trying to do? What are we actually truly up to? Are we trying to avoid? Or are we willing to face whatever it is inside ourselves with a warm okayness? You'll have to have a look and see for yourself. It's up to you. You're creating your reality with the way you think, with the way you act. And so it's not black and white, this one. Have a look and see for yourself. See what you're up to. The next question has been written by Ritaraj. What is the best way to connect with your energy, especially when we're not in satsang? Thank you. Well, Ritaraj, tune in right now and see what you can pick up. Some people pick it up clearly and other people don't. But there's a field of energy coming through the screen that can start to relax and expand your mind. See if you can feel it. See if it's affecting you at all. This is a Buddha field that is produced by awareness being aware of itself. And in this Buddha field, you can find yourself as truth. It's like a doorway to your own true nature. Sometimes it is said that if you take one candle and you put it to another candle that is not lit, the second candle will light and nothing will be lost from the first candle. Someone who is awake is like a candle. You get lit from them. My spiritual master was Osho Rajneesh, and he lit this candle. Nothing was lost from his side. He was just the light. So tune in as best as you can. See if you can't feel the subtleties of the mind expanding, becoming more silent. See if you can't start finding the nothingness that is actually talking to you. Next question has been written by Manasa. How do I explain my to my mother what a futile exercise it is to compare the past with the present and complain? I've attempted several times, but she suffers this thinking. Yeah, so does my mother. <laughs> uh, I only teach people who ask to be my students. And even then, quite often they don't look where I'm pointing. They want to bite my fingers. Trying to teach people who don't want to know or who are unwilling, in my understanding, is pretty futile. You just have to accept your mother as she is. What I do with my mother when she gets caught in victim-orientated thinking is I hear her out and then I change the subject if I can. There's no point trying to teach her. She's, she's way too old and she won't listen anyway. So I just accept her as she is. 
and laughter. The next question is from a viewer. Hi Vishrat, why do people carry so much shame and how to let it go? Well, we live in a society that shames children for being natural. Um, generally speaking, it's religion backed. And of course it's horrible because it creates low self-worth in people. And I see low self-worth as a crippling agent it doesn't make us whole, it makes us less than whole. It turns part of our own psyche against another part of our psyche. And so I don't really support the uh, shaming that occurs as a result of religious teaching. Uh, but how to deal with it is you have to find a way to like yourself. You have to find a way to accept yourself as you are, not how you could be or should be, but exactly as you are. And if you can fully accept yourself as you are, well, shame won't have power anymore. Shame has only has power when there's parts of you that you don't accept, that you don't like. So it comes back to self-acceptance. Is there a specific practice that you can recommend for self-acceptance? <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, when I started looking at what it was inside of myself that I wasn't accepting, I started to write it down. I started to write down this and that. Uh, what I didn't accept, the reasons why I didn't accept it. And so I started a list of the, um, in a way, it's belief systems about self, not being good enough at this, not being good enough at that, or being dark inside here. And I wrote down a list. And then I went through that list one at a time, finding a way, no matter what it took, finding a way to be in acceptance of that, of that, whatever that was, to find a warmer okayness for that. And so I went through the list little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit. And I found that worked okay. Next, Kalimba would like to ask a question. Oh, hi, Kalimba. Hi, Vishrant. How are you today? Right now, I'm allowing a lot of sadness, thanks to something you said earlier. Well, I saw something on, on the TV yesterday about the way the immigration minister had been treating that Tamil family who lived in Queensland. And when I saw it, I got on the phone to his office, luckily, the, Line was engaged and I was going to just have a go at him. And when you said earlier today, instead of getting angry, just feel what it is. And I just, I just started crying. I was just feeling how they'd been treated and how badly they'd been treated and just the tears started flowing. And 
it's much, it feels much realer than the anger. The anger was just a reaction, whereas the tears were a response. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, anger is a defense system. It stops us from feeling. Yeah. You are feeling, you are feeling the wound, you are feeling the pain and allowing yourself to be with it rather than actually using a defense system of anger to actually get away from it. Yeah. And I also thought that if I was going to follow it up with a phone call to the office, if I if I'd gone in abusively, they would have just shut off. But if I found it in this space and like they could tell that I was really upset, they would probably respond better themselves. I mean, I probably won't because it won't make any difference, but I just wanted to thank you for allowing me to change my perspective from anger to feeling the pain. Yeah. Yeah, that, now you're healing things. The other side of it is I do believe the government has accepted the Tamil family into Australia. Well, the last I saw it was, he was saying that oh, the, if you come by boat, no, we'll only keep them on if, if they, they win their court case. So it did sound like unless they, they win the legal battle that they're going to be sent back to, to Sri Lanka. Uh -huh. But I hope you're right. Hmm. Look, there is so much suffering in the world and we're just being made aware of this particular piece of suffering. And the news tends to sensationalize this stuff to get an emotional roller coaster ride going for people. So they'll actually come back and watch the news again tomorrow night. Um, but there is so much suffering in the world. You know, you and I have both been to third world countries. But we don't even need to go to a third world country. All we need to do is go downtown at nighttime and see the homeless people in, in, in Perth. There is so much suffering everywhere. And you can help who you can help. Yeah. And, and if I see a man on the street who's homeless or a woman, uh, I give them some money because I can. If I couldn't, I wouldn't. But I can, so I do. Yeah. See, it's... For me, it's not just about feeling uh, empathy for them or so sorry for them. It's also, if I can help them, I will. Yeah, I can relate to that. Thank you, Vish. Thank you. The next question has been written by a viewer. If one has been over-criticized in childhood, then self-acceptance can feel very difficult. So much energy goes into supporting a false image. How to like yourself? Thanks. Yeah. Well, you're talking to someone who wasn't accepted as a child. I was had uh, ADHD, which wasn't diagnosed, and dyslexia, which wasn't diagnosed. So I had a great deal of trouble getting any form of acceptance. And I was very criticized, as a matter of fact, in the era I was brought up in, uh, when I my ADD, ADHD played up or my dyslexia came into play in studies, uh, the cure for it back then was to, to beat the child. And so I found that I was probably beaten every day during school because I was considered an uncontrollable child. And so there was a fair bit of me feeling unacceptable by my teachers, by my parents, by my peers. 
But at some point, when I was around about 12 or 13, I decided that the world wasn't going to accept me. It became clear to me that I was unacceptable to the world, to other people, to my teachers, to my peers. So I decided to become my own best friend. And I decided to accept me. I decided to find all the parts of me that were unacceptable to the world and make them okay. And I did. And so I got over this extreme criticism through practicing loving or caring or being my own best friend to myself. And this is the way. You find a way, no matter what it takes, to accept every part of you with a warm okayness. Give yourself no choice whatsoever. Make it so. The next question, are there hidden gifts to surrendering to physical pain? <laughs> well, every human being suffers pain one sooner or later or sometime. Uh, what we do with that is uh, go into resistance to it or contract against it and take ourselves into lower consciousness or accept it and be okay with it and not go into resistance to it and then it's just pain we haven't taken ourselves into lower consciousness and so you've got to watch the mind pretty carefully where is it taking you what's it up to because any time we go into resistance we go into suffering and we go into lower consciousness and so we look at the things that take us massively into Lower consciousness would be the defense system of fear and the defense system of anger. Both defense systems and both obstacles in the way of higher consciousness. We can defeat fear by willing to meet whatever it is that we're frightened of. And supporting anger is just supporting ourselves in massive resistance, massive suffering that hurts us and probably hurts others. Have a look for yourself and see. What are you up to? What is your mind doing? How conscious do you want to become? Is it possible for me to remove the defensive raft of using humor that stops me from being vulnerable and sensitive to others? Well, Tosh, I know this is what you use. So I don't know if it's going to be possible. <laughs> Humor is one of the ways that people can avoid everything by making it all seem all so funny. Uh, and that way the bullies stop picking on you because you're humorous. But the only way I know is to stop it. There is no other way. And that takes you, your discipline, your consciousness to stop it, to stop that escape methodology, to see it for what it is and to stop it. It's up to you. Nobody can help you, only you, because you've developed a way of avoiding pain through rafting in humor. 
Stop it and see where it takes you. Stop it and become willing to meet the discomfort that it's trying to cover up. Up to you. Thank you. I'll try that. <laughs> it works. Uh, it is painful. Um, so it's just about being with the pain? Yes. Uh, instead of reacting and trying to resist the pain, making the pain okay, being warmly okay with whatever appears. Stop fighting. Okay. Next, we have a question from Vasu. Hello, Vasu. Hello, Vishal. How are you? You know, I don't change much. I'm uh, lovely. Can you hear? Yeah, I can hear oh, okay, you. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perfect. <laughs> so, um, Recently, I was walking at a forest and it was like about total nighttime, total darkness. And that definitely required, you know, openness, acceptance. And there were moments where I was afraid for my life because I could hear some animals, both sides, um, because there's a lot of dense trees on the both sides of that forest. And at nighttime, of course, it's, it's scary for sure. Um, and now, if you look at humanity, we're very blessed to have walls around us, right? We have AC, we have heaters, and animals don't have that kind of facility. They can be eaten anytime, and you have that safety with these walls. Now, is is if sorry acceptance or openness in these four walls is that in a way a hindrance because of this human advancement or is that just my projection of my mind well you feel safe within the four walls yeah. uh, Vasu, but you could still die from a heart attack or a stroke <laughs> or, or being attacked by another human i mean the most dangerous thing on this planet are human beings yeah yeah. Um, the story, the story that you told about being in the forest reminded me a great deal of when I used to be a diver. I used to dive underwater in 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 water um, where there was a lot of sharks. Yeah, there yeah. There was always always the threat that I was going to get mauled and eaten by a shark. And the way that I dealt with that is, in my imagination, I allowed that to occur. In other words, instead of resisting it, yes. I allowed it to be so in my imagination. In other words, I allowed <laughs> myself to die. Yeah, exactly. And in, in allowing myself to die, the fear dissipated. Because I wasn't right. resisting what I was frightened of anymore. Yeah. I heard the story about you and the shark uh, through Dr. Reese. Uh -huh. Yeah. That's how I got to know you as well. Mm. Great to talk to you, Kishan. Nice to talk to you. Where are you, Vasu? What country are you from? Um, Canada. Ah, Canada. I lived I in Vancouver. A... Oh, okay, yeah. So I'm in Toronto, but I came as a student from India. Ah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like Canada. It's a lovely place. Yeah, very good place indeed. I hope I can come there or you can come here sometime. That would be amazing. Well, you never know. But this um, coronavirus uh, thing is stopping everyone from traveling at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And um, that's just how it is. And yeah. we just got to accept it. Exactly. Mm. Thank you so much. Nice to talk to you, Vasu. Yeah, nice to talk to you. Thank you. The next question. Do the tragedies of the world touch you in the same way now as they did before your awakening? No. I feel them, but I don't experience an emotional uh, reaction. I have my eyes open, so I'm not blinded to what's there. I see the tragedy. I see the suffering. But I accept that this is the way the world is. I'm not living in a state of non-acceptance. I'm living in a state of acceptance. And this is simply what is. This is the world we live in. To be in non-acceptance of it, to be in resistance to it, would be to create suffering in myself. And the world already has enough of that. It doesn't need any more. So I accept the world as it is. We have a statement from Kalimba who writes, I can totally relate to Toshi's question about using humor as an escape mechanism because I tend to do exactly the same thing. Yeah, a lot of people do. I usually develop it in, ch in childhood at school. It's one of the ways that we can avoid being bullied by making ourselves into a fool by using humor to entertain the bullies. And it carries on for life as a raft that we defend ourselves from. But it can be dismantled. The next question. What is the importance of healing wounding if we are trying to go beyond the mind? The problem with wounding is if we're in the world, if we're in the marketplace, uh, and we're carrying a lot of wounding or even a little bit of wounding, uh, when that wounding's touched, the mind is going to contract against it. It's going to go into resistance to feeling it. And if awareness is on itself, there is a very good chance it'll leave itself and come back to the contracting mind. A mind that supports enlightenment is a mind that is equanimous, a mind that is actually pretty much flatlined, not a mind that is contracting against the world. If the mind is contracting against the world, awareness that even may be on itself in Satori will come back to the mind. Because the mind itself is not supporting what has been found, is not supporting enlightenment. And so it is important that we actually heal the wounds of our heart. It is important that we learn to not contract to anything. It is important that we find a way to accept life and whatever's inside ourselves as it is, rather than constantly react to what is, which is a form of unconsciousness anyway. It's not higher consciousness to go into resistance to life. 
we need to create a mind that will support what is found. Self-inquiry can show us our true nature. But if the mind keeps contracting against life after it's been found, awareness that may be on itself is going to come back to the mind. And so we get a flip-flopping effect. Self-inquiry takes us home. Then we come back to the ego-based reality, which is false, because the ego is contracting because it's resisting life. The ego and the mind need to learn to not resist. And healing the wounds of the heart is important in that aspect. So we don't have to contract against the pain. But we can still be wounded and wake up. I'm not saying that's we can't be. As long as we're not going into contraction against the wounding when we feel it. As long as we're staying equanimous in the mind. And this is how the mind supports enlightenment. By not reacting. By not going into contraction. By not going into massive resistance. But staying even. The next question is as follows. Can escape artists be successful in life? Or do you think it will eventually make you self-sabotage? Oh, I'm sure that escape artists can be successful in life. Um, but can they be happy in life when they're constantly running away from something? That I don't think so. Next, Kavita would like to ask a question. Hello, Kavita. Hi, Shan. Hello. Um, uh, I, I just wanted to know um, how can we know that uh, we have overcome wounding? I mean, uh, uh, is it something um, or, or is it something that the mind uh, makes us believe that, uh, you know, how do we really know that we have healed and we are not uh, assuming that we have healed? Yeah, okay. So if we have a lot of abandonment wounding, for instance, sake, uh, and someone abandons us or rejects us, uh, we're going to feel a load of wounding. Uh, uh, Gavita, you've got your speaker up too loud. I think it's coming, feeding back through my system. Uh, can, you, can you turn whatever you're doing down? Should I mute it? That would probably be best at the moment. Oh, I'll mute it. Yeah. Thank you, Kavita. So if we're wounded, if we're carrying wounding and someone abandons us and we have abandonment wounding, it's going to touch that wounding and it's going to feel quite large. Now, if someone abandons us, and we don't have that wounding, we're not going to feel much. We might feel a touch, but we're not going to feel that huge uh, amount that is there. We're not going to go into drama over it. And so if, if we're wounded, we're going to notice we're wounded because things are going to touch us and the load that we feel is going to be quite great. If there's not much there, or if there's nothing there at all, we know that the wounding has been healed. It's up to us to heal that. And so if someone insults you 
and it really, really hurts, there's a good chance there's a whole pile of wounding around there that hasn't been dealt with yet. But if someone insults you and it doesn't touch much, well, there's probably no wounding there. You have to have a look for yourself and see. I knew that I had a lot of wounding around abandonment because when I got abandoned, it really hurt. It was really powerful. It was really strong. And it was very clear to me that I'd collected a whole pile of wounding over a lifetime of probably being rejected and abandoned. You have to look for yourself and see. The litmus test is someone does something negative and nothing moves. Up to you. Okay, Kavita. Yeah, thanks, Vishrant. That was really uh, that was really helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Kavita. Next, Kalimba would like to ask a question. Hello, Kalimba. Hello, Vishrant. In relation to the last question from Kavita, it triggered a memory in me. A few years ago, I went and spent a, uh, a month or so with a lady called Diane Horton, who was one of um, Paul Lowe's followers, and she had a community in Rosebank. And she said exactly the same thing as you did in one of the sessions. She said, if somebody insults you or are, are rude to you, if you contract and feel it, then there's some truth in it. If it's complete bullshit, you go straight over your head and you don't have any reaction to it. So what she said was a complete, a complete um, vindication of what she said back then too. Not necessarily. If you're wounded, uh, you might contract over it, even if it is bulldust. See, if you've got no wounding, well, there's not going to be much reaction, yeah, if any. Yeah. But if you're a wounded bunny, even when some, you know, someone says something like that, it'll probably touch something and you'll feel it. Um, it's related to how much wounding you have or you haven't got. Just because yeah, you don't yeah. react to an insult might not necessarily mean you're not wounded. It might mean you're just not taking it on. You're not buying it. Oh, okay. Well, it's a, it's a similar, similar philosophy, but not, not as accurate as yours, shall we say. <laughs> it's interesting. Diane Horton's teacher was uh, Paul Lowe. Uh, Paul Lowe was my teacher too. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thanks for that. Nice to talk to you, Kalimba. It's always nice to listen to you, Vish. <laughs> How to still have wounding and not contract? Is it something to do with the type or amount of wounding that's left in us or a mind that doesn't react anymore? Yeah, it's a mind that is conscious enough to respond instead of react. And so something can touch. Someone does something that's offensive or in some way uh, challenges this wounding. If there isn't a reaction and a response, instead, it means your consciousness levels are quite high. Reaction happens in lower consciousness. People react and go into anger unconsciously. That's an unconscious act. In consciousness, in higher consciousness, 
There isn't a reaction, but there may be a response. And so higher consciousness really does rule. Lower consciousness basically is just dream. Higher consciousness is you see everything that's going on. You don't miss anything. And higher consciousness rules. Next, there's a question from Panit. Hello. Hello, Panit. Hi, Vishwant. Uh, journey seems long. I'm sorry, Panit. I'm having trouble hearing you. You're very quiet. Can you hear me now? A little bit better, yes. If you talk closer to your microphone, it would probably be better. Is, is it better now? It's not too bad. It's still a little quiet, but I can hear you. Uh, I'll try to speak louder. Thank you. Uh, the journey seems long and I get discouraged and I feel impatient. Just for seeking your blessing so I can just carry on. Okay, Pranit, there is nothing else worth doing on this plane except raising your consciousness levels and waking up. Because if you don't, you're going to repeat the whole thing again next lifetime. We do this lifetime after lifetime, samsara. There is nothing better than to raise your consciousness levels and wake up and become a light so others may see. Thank you. Thank you for your words. Thank you, Pranit. What would you say to someone who's struggling with wounding and emotionality? Bring awareness to what is real, because if you're struggling with emotionality, you're in some kind of dream. Bring your awareness to what is real. This is the advantage of meditation. And I'm not just talking formal meditation here. I'm talking being aware of what is real around you, the sounds around you the sights around you, the feel of things around you. Anything that is real can bring you back to reality. As long as you keep your awareness in the mind and into the story of the mind and the emotionality of the mind, you're actually lost in lower consciousness. Come back to what is real through the practice of putting your awareness on what is real. It could be a sound, it could be a sight, it could be a feel that you're feeling touching something. Anything that is real will bring you back to reality. This is meditation. This is worthwhile. Thank you for satsang. Good to see you brave hearts here today. 